Please open your Bibles to John chapter 15. And welcome again to Abounding Love. We are continuing on in our study through the Gospel of John. And uh, we're moving right along. Jesus at this point is still sitting down as uh, at the Last Supper with his disciples. And uh, here in verse 1 of John chapter 15, Jesus speaking, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So here we see Jesus make another I am statement. Thus far in our studies through the Gospel of John, we've seen where Jesus has said, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. I am the door. And as we studied those things, we touched a little bit on each one. But now Jesus says here that he is the true vine. And you know, if we stick with the context of what we saw back in chapter 14, we remember that Jesus has been comforting his disciples and preparing them for the fact that he is about to leave. He's about to go to the cross. And as he's told them before, though, and we saw in John chapter 14, that he won't leave them as orphans. He said that the Holy Spirit will come and be in them as an everlasting source of comfort. They will be comforted by the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the one that will teach them and and bring them into remembrance of all that Jesus said and did. But as Jesus tells them here that he is the true vine, They really needed to know this because very shortly they will no longer be permitted by the Jews to attend temple worship. They will be barred from even entering into the synagogue. They will no longer become, or excuse me, be welcomed in the religion of Judaism. So Jesus here continues to assure them of who he is. They don't need religion. They simply need Jesus. And you and me today are not in need of religion. We are in need of Jesus as well. If we are plugged into the vine that is Jesus Christ, we will produce good fruit. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, to prune a plant means that you basically cut things away in order to make the plant produce maximum results. And every human being has the choice to to get plugged into and stay plugged into the vine that is Jesus Christ and grow in the knowledge of God. But if a person claims that they are plugged into Jesus, but they live their lives in a way that is not displaying good fruit, then we must understand that God, who is all-knowing, and He sees the hearts of all people, and He knows whether there is good fruit or bad fruit, he, He will prune the vine of those branches that are not showing forth good fruit. But keep in mind, none of us have the ability to produce good fruit 
on our own. We have to be plugged in to the vine. Jesus said in verse 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So, what does it take to make us clean? It's the word of God. It's God's word that makes us clean. And if you remember, we studied all the way back in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the word made flesh, right? I really encourage you, if you haven't read that for a while, go back and read John chapter 1. Jesus is the word made flesh. And the point that Jesus is getting across here to his disciples is that they have to stay plugged in to him. They have to stay plugged in to the word. He says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. You see, so the disciples there, they had the, the audible voice of God right there with them. They, they had the spoken word of God. Today, you and I, as modern-day disciples of Jesus, those that are being taught by Jesus, growing in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus, studying the word, learning the word, we have the written word of God. We don't have the, the audible voice of Jesus Christ in our lives today. And abiding in or relying on our own strength to be good enough, you know, it's going to leave us falling short. And the best it could possibly do is make us self-righteous. And abiding in religion and trying to follow rules and regulations always ends up failing because it is the nature of our flesh to be drawn towards sin. We cannot keep all the rules and all the regulations. The only way that we can ever produce good fruit is by staying plugged in to Jesus. And if you also remember, we studied last time that the Holy Spirit that comes in us teaches us and brings us into remembrance of all that Jesus said and did. And Jesus continues on here in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, it doesn't get any plainer than that. How much can we do in terms of doing anything good without Jesus? Nothing. We can do nothing good without Jesus. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them, and they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So, as you read that verse, you see that Jesus is really making it clear that he is the only way. Every other way of trying to get close to God will leave you lifeless until eventually you shrivel up and you dry up and you spiritually die. Think about cutting a, a bunch of branches off of a tree. 
and then taking those branches and piling them up in a corner of your yard or something, you know, it's not long before those once life-filled branches are all dried up and dead. And then the only thing they are good for at that point is what? Is throwing them in the fire. They're not good for anything else. They, they don't produce any fruit. When those branches were on the tree, though, they had a chance to produce. But apart from the tree, they did not. And for you and I, Jesus is the only source for abundant life. He is the vine. We are the branches. And the way that we know all of these things is by reading and studying our Bibles, the Word of God. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. You see, when you know the Word of God, you will know the will of God as a result. And then you begin, your prayer life begins to be in line with the will of God because you understand the will of God by understanding the Word of God. And then when your prayer life is in line with the will of God because your life is in line with the Word of God, then your prayers are answered. You're not, let's, let's um, turn to James chapter 4. James is, it's toward the back of your Bible. It's, it's right after Hebrews. And it's just before the book of 1 Peter. So James chapter 4. And let's read verses 1 through 3. Okay. It says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You see, all too often when we pray, we pray in a very selfish way. We pray that we might have more stuff or a better financial life or more material things, whatever it may be. But instead, we should be praying that God's will would be done in our lives because he's the one that knows all and sees all. He's the one that became flesh to die and to redeem us as his children. And he desires good for us. He doesn't desire bad for us. And he knows the way for us to produce good fruit. Go ahead and, and turn back to John chapter 15. Jesus continues in, in verse 8. He says, by this is my Father, excuse me, by this my Father is glorified. Let me stop right there, because let's just go back to verse 7 and read it together with verse 8. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so will you be my disciples. You see, the Lord, when he works in our lives, he is preparing us for a new home. He takes care of us here. He looks after us here on this earth. But ultimately, he is working in us for his good pleasure. And we bear much fruit when we abide in the word of God and we become disciples of Jesus. Those that that sit down at his feet and learn from him by sitting down and opening up your Bibles and learning from his word. That is why I'm committed to, to do nothing but teach through the word of God. So we bear much fruit and our Father is glorified, right? And Jesus was here showing us the love of the Father. Look at verse 9. He says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So you see, Jesus here is basically guaranteeing our success, our success at um, producing good fruit, if we abide in his word and if we abide in his love. You see, he demonstrated for us what love is. And we can grow in the knowledge of his love by staying plugged in to his word. These Bibles that we hold in our hands is the very Word of God. We cannot stray from our Bible. We cannot just get off into man's teachings, to the teachings of religion. We must stay plugged into the Word of God in order to produce good fruit. Okay? Now, verse 11. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, I don't want to move too quickly past verse 11 here, because there is a whole lot of meat packed in this verse. Jesus says here, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Well, what are the things that Jesus has spoken to his disciples at this Last Supper? What are the things that he has spoken that will cause them to be full of joy? Well, we can look back in verse 3. We see that Jesus um, told his disciples that you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Right? Then verse 5 says that if we abide in him, we bear much fruit. Verse 7 says that when we abide in him, we can ask whatever we want and it will be done for us. And verse 10 says that when we keep his commandments, we will abide in his love. So you see, the recipe for having joy, like Jesus speaks of in verse 11, is found when a person comes to the word 
and is made clean by the word of God, that's what it takes, and then abides in or remains steadfastly in the word of God. And this person is then a person that is full of joy, and they plant themselves firmly in God's love. And then that love is not selfishly kept to themselves. It is liberally distributed because Jesus goes on to say in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So do you see how it all ties together? We stay plugged into the word of God. We, we are made clean by the word of God. In First Peter, it says that we are born again through the word of God. So we're, we're made clean, we're born again, we abide in the word of God, we abide in his love, and we take his love then out as he has commanded us to take that love out and to show it to others. And then he also says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. We must be known as people of love because our Savior displayed the greatest love mankind that anyone could possibly show. Everything about the Godhead is characterized by love. Let's go ahead and turn toward the back of your Bibles and go ahead and mark this page because we're going to come back to it. But let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. You'll find 1 John right after the book of 2 Peter. Just as you're turning there, um, this book of 1 John was written by the same apostle that wrote the Gospel of John. The apostle John became known as the apostle of love because he wrote so much about the topic of love. But let's start reading in verse 7. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So, here we see that love is an evidence that a person has been born again. That's the way you know that someone's been born of God, by love. That you can see love displayed. And the kind of love that is being spoken of here is agape love, unconditional love. Verse 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, let's pause right here for just a few seconds and let's ask ourselves a question. Is it easy to love people all of the time unconditionally? To me, it's not. People do dumb things, I do dumb things. We stumble in our actions, we stumble in our words, etc., etc. But you see, there is a solution. And the solution to all of our stumbling is Jesus. Verse 9, look at verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. You see, when we live our lives 
through Jesus, we are then able to live lives of love. Love is not something that we can uh, live out without doing it through Jesus Christ. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the substitute for our sins. He took our place. And you see, God, being the very definition of love, initiated love toward us. And he did so knowing full well that we are sinners. We fall short. And Jesus Christ was and is and is to come the demonstrated love of God. Yes, Jesus portrays God's love, and, and yes, Jesus displays God's love, but above all of that, Jesus is God's love. And back in verse 10, it says that if we keep his commandments, we will abide in his love. Uh, and then here in verse 11, uh, I, was, I was speaking of back in verse 10 of, of John chapter 15, but here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. But the only way we can do this is by living through Jesus Christ. If you were to look closely enough at me, you will see plenty of things that you just don't like. But if you look at me through Jesus, you will love me because you are abiding in him. You see, remember uh, last week, we studied that Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Actually, earlier on in this study, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You see, we can only produce the fruit of love when we are abiding in Jesus. That is why we need to be people that are led by the Holy Spirit. Because like Jesus said in John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So day by day, we need to die to the nature of our flesh and live according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And in this way, we will be people that shine forth the love of Jesus. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. To the left of where we are now, it's between 2 Corinthians and Ephesians. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 13 through 16. It says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Now, first of all, what, is that, what do those verses tell us? It tells us that even though we're believers in Jesus Christ, we still have the ability to bite and devour one another. But here again, what's the solution? Verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So you see, when you're born again, you have the Spirit of God within you. But there's this constant battle that goes on because we're still walking around carrying this flesh around. I always say, as long as we have skin, we will have to fight the fight against sin. Do you know that the man that the Holy Spirit used to write the majority of the New Testament struggled with this as well? Go ahead and uh, turn to Romans chapter 7. Okay? Romans is to the left of where we are now. It's between the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians. So Romans chapter 7, right after the book of Acts, just before 1 Corinthians. And uh, let's read, let's start reading in verse 14. So Romans chapter 7, verse 14. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. This is Paul speaking, the Apostle Paul. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So what Paul is saying here is that when we sin, we prove the need for law. But the problem is, is that the law could never take away the sin that is inside of us. The law can say, Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But the law can never take away the sin that is within us. Verse 18, he, Paul continues on. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. So do you see what's taking place here? It's the same thing that takes place in each and every one of us. We have this fleshly, carnal nature, but when we're born again, when we're walking with Jesus, we have our spiritual nature that has been renewed, okay? And, and while we're here on this earth, in some way, shape, or form, we will all struggle with sin. Let's read on. Verse 20. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find, So Paul's saying there, I want to pause. I want to just say, Paul's saying there, you know, hey, this, this is coming from 
where where does this sin come from? He says, now if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He's saying, I don't want to do this, but I still stumble. I still strip up, uh, trip up. <laughs> we don't strip up. We trip up sometimes and and we we make mistakes just like I just did. <laughs> I find then a law that evil is present with me in verse 21. The one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. So, you see, the ability for us to love like God or to live in any good way is very, very difficult, next to impossible. But here again, there is a solution. The solution is Jesus. Paul says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am. Man, when you read that, think about that. Saint Paul, the guy you see in pictures with halos over over his head. No, he said, O wretched man that I am. He knew what the answer was. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the solution. How do we do it? How do we win this war against sin? How do we not give in to the temptation of sin? By living through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And by abiding in his word, he goes on. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law, but with the flesh, the law of sin. In other words, we're not as long as we're in this body, we're not going to escape the fact that we're going to have to fight against sin. But we're going to keep our minds focused on God. And we're going to do it through the word of God. You're studying and and learning more about him. The opportunity to sin is ever-present with us, but, the, but by the Spirit of the Lord indwelling us and by us submitting to His will day by day, moment by moment, we can live a life free of the power of sin, where sin has its control on people. And we can also, by keeping our eyes on Jesus, by living, being, living a life that is led by the Holy Spirit, we will then be able to be people of love. But living through Jesus is the only way that we will ever accomplish this. I have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20 says. It is no longer I who lives, it's Christ that lives in me. That's what it's all about. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. You see, that's how we walk. We walk by faith, not by sight. It's it's easier, and I've often said this, but it's easier to go out and just walk by sight. If it feels good, do it. If it looks good, get it. All of those things, that's the nature of our flesh. But that's not being led by the Holy Spirit. Let's just briefly turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and let's look at verse 13. 
It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, every day we are faced with this choice. To live according to the flesh or to be led by the Spirit of God. But notice here in verse uh, 13 that there is the word if. So, in other words, it's something that is up to us. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's no one forcing you to do it. No one forcing you to make that choice to be led by the Holy Spirit today. No one forcing you to surrender your life today into God's arms and and to His will. No one forcing you to pick up your Bible and read it and grow in the knowledge of the Lord. It's all a choice. God does not force Himself on anyone. Turn back to John chapter 15. Here in verse 14 of John chapter 15, we're going to see the word if again. It says, you are my friends, Jesus says, if you do whatever I command you. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. There's the word if. Following Jesus is never a religious duty. There there are no men or women on the face of this earth that are responsible for your spiritual condition. You have to come to Jesus Christ directly. He came for you, and you have to surrender your life to Him. There's no religion that you can put between you and Him. The Lord, like I said, He will not force Himself upon you. It's your choice. Are you going to walk as His friends, as His friend, or by doing what He commands you? How are you going to do what He commands you if you don't, if you're not abiding in His Word? It's impossible. Like I said, I, I know I can't do it. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. Verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. So you see here, Jesus is very warm and personal. Yes, he came as God in the flesh, and yes, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way to an eternal life in the kingdom of heaven, no other way. But Jesus wants you to want to have him as your friend. He came and he gave all the people of the world the opportunity to know God by the words that he spoke and by the deeds that he did. And today, like I said earlier, he is made known to us through his written word. And as Jesus spoke face to face with his disciples here in in John chapter 15, um, he, he chose them. He told them, he says, you did not choose me, 
but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. You see, the disciples of Jesus had an awesome task ahead of them. And we've talked about this in weeks past, but after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, they would then go out into all the world and proclaim the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. And these men were handpicked by Jesus to do this. Verse 17 says, These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So Jesus wants these guys to, to stay closely knit with one another. The task that lie ahead for them was going to be extremely difficult because they were going to be proclaiming a message that would not set well with the religious leaders of their day, nor would it set well with those that just didn't want to turn from their sin. Today, many people still hate the name of Jesus when it speaks to the state of their hearts. If I were to walk into a bar today, and begin to tell everyone of the love of Jesus, the management would probably come over and ask me to leave. If I were to walk into that same bar and begin to curse using the name of Jesus, it'd be no problem. I'd fit right in. I'd be welcomed there. And in verse 19, Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You see, the disciples of Jesus are no longer who they once were. They were once just average guys, tax collectors and fishermen and such. But something has happened to them internally uh, inside of them, and, and they have now forsaken all to follow Jesus. And today, when a person is what Jesus called back in John chapter 3, born again, they too are no longer of this world. Let's look at a, a, few, a few scriptures that speak to this. First turn um, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As you know, it's to the right of the Gospel of John, just after 1 Corinthians. And let's read verses 14 through 17. So um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So when we make the decision to place our faith in Jesus, at that point, life becomes 
new again. We, from a spiritual standpoint, we start all over again. It's no longer about living for the desires of our flesh. Instead, it becomes about living for Jesus, as it says there in verse 15. Read verse 15 again. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We become newly created in Jesus Christ, and old things pass away. Now, this does not mean we become cultish and we separate ourselves and we all go live together in a commune somewhere and the world looks at us like freaks. No, we are in this world. We're just not supposed to be of this world. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Back to the left of where we are now. It's between Acts and 1 Corinthians, Romans chapter 12. And let's start reading verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So here again, we see Scripture instructing us to not be of this world. But this is an internal thing that takes place by what is called here in verse 2, the renewing of your mind. And when we come to that place where we've been renewed in the spirit of our minds, we should not be arrogant and act as if we're better than others. To the contrary, verse 3 here says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You become meek when you come to Jesus, not weak. You're, 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 you're much stronger, but you're, you're a humble person. And, and you see here, it says that God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. How could we be arrogant about our faith in the Lord? How could we act as if we're holier than thou when each one of us has been given a measure of faith by God? I could never come to, to know Jesus Christ without that measure of faith that God has given me because we walk by faith. I've never seen Jesus, but yet for all these years now, for 24 plus years, I've been following Jesus. But all of that is glory to God because he's given me a measure of faith. But each and every person on the face of this earth has that same measure of faith to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But when we do come out of the world and, and we stop being controlled by our flesh and we begin to be led by the Holy Spirit, and what the Holy Spirit teaches us. You know, it does happen that you will become strange 
to those that are around you. When you stop doing those things you used to do that destroyed, that didn't you know, present your body as a living sacrifice, instead you just were destroying your body through one way, shape, or form. If, if you stop behaving in a certain way, people will begin to, to shun you. You're no longer who you used to be. But the thing to do is not forget where you came from. And simply love those that are around you. They may choose not to be around you anymore, but it shouldn't be because you're hitting them over the head with your righteousness. That's their choice. There's that big if word for them. Are they going to follow the Lord? Are they going to abide in His word? That's all up to, to each one of us. But turning back to John chapter 15. Jesus was warning the disciples that they were not going to be well-received because this world didn't receive Jesus very well either. And it still doesn't in many ways. And in verse 20, Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master? If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. And that's the real key right there. Going back to the analogy I used a little while ago about walking into that bar with the name of Jesus on my mouth. When I use his name as a curse word, I'll fit right in. But when I use his name in a way that speaks of knowing him and and loving him, then people get convicted in their own hearts. And the sin within them causes them to want to get rid of a guy like that. And Jesus says here in verse 22 that if he had never come, they would have no sin. But now that he has come and has judged sin, or or at this point he will go to the cross and judge sin, they have no excuse. They have no excuse for their behavior because they can choose now to repent. Verse 23, he who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done Among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my Father. But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So here again, as Jesus was about to go to the cross and die, he was preparing his disciples for the persecution that awaited them in the future. But by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within them, each one of them went on to die the death of a martyr. 
Today, in this country, the United States of America, the chances that we will die for our faith are very, very slim. And all around us, there are people that have never heard the gospel truth about Jesus. They know what religion has taught them. They know what history portrayed um, Jesus as through various historians that wrote various books. They don't know the Word of God. They don't know the living, active Word of God that is able to make them clean. And maybe you're listening today, and you've not come to that place, but maybe as you've gone through this study, your heart's beginning to see something. You're beginning to realize that there is more to this life than just living and dying. That there is an abundant life that the Savior of the world wants you to know. There is a knowledge of Him that He wants you to grow in. And if you're at that place, it's, it's very simple. It's just a matter of, by faith, calling out to God and letting Him know, confessing the Lord Jesus with your mouth, believing it in your heart, confessing it with your mouth. It's that simple. I don't need to write you a, a prescription on how to be saved. It's something that takes place within your own heart. And, and prayer is just simply you talking to God. You don't need no these and thous. You don't need a huge vocabulary. Talk to God just as you are. Come to Him just as you are. Because He loves you. Call out to God today. And I encourage you to continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We come into a new year, 2011. We come into a new decade. Why not start it out by seeking the God of all creation, seeking your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you more and more. Continue to stay plugged into the Word of God. Abide in. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We have to stay plugged into the vine. Otherwise, we shrivel up and die. God bless. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.